Welcome to all of you hearing this message. On August the 18th of 2014, on Monday, at approximately five minutes to 10 in the evening. This is David Thompson, and I am here to minister the Word of God to you out of the Holy Spirit of God as the oracles of God. I am seeking to minister as the oracles of God. I do not know what the Holy Spirit is going to say today from a passage I received through the casting of lots, which is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I will first read this chapter. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work.
Paul the Apostle is addressing the Thessalonians who have been troubled by various people mentioning that the coming of the Lord, the day of Christ, of the Messiah, as it mentions in verse 2, is at hand. This, no doubt, is referring to the fact that in this context that they believed that it was very imminent, or imminent, that it was soon, that there was not much time left. We've always seen the people, uh, even in our day and age, which have believed that the Lord was coming and on a certain date or in so many weeks and have been troubled to the point that they would go and be moved to do things such as getting rid of all their material things that sustain them and so on. Of course, those are the real extremes. Most people, when they're troubled, don't buy into such things, but it can be troubling if you are convinced by someone that certain things are so imminent, imminent that you will not need to continue with your normal lifestyle. There are many voices. There is the voice of our own spirit. There is the voice of other people's soul and spirit as well as ours, soul. There's the voice of suggestive thoughts from the demonic realm. And there's the influence of people's voices that are influenced by the demonic realm with false teachings that cause troubling. A troubling in our spirit is a taking away of peace. We are commanded to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. In fact, in Galatians, Paul mentioned that he was so bothered by those that troubled the Christians with false teaching that they would could only be saved by keeping such ceremonial laws as circumcision that his desire was that they would be judged in a terrible way by God. He mentions the word mutilation. Troubling is not something that God desires his people to be finding continually in their lives. Do we experience trouble? Do we experience trials? Do we experience maybe a brief period of time where we're troubled because of an unforeseen event? Yes. But if we have a relationship with God, the peace of God is greater than the things that may not be reconciled in our understanding because they seem so contrary to our understanding of what would be 
just on the part of God towards allowing in our lives. We are to be those that allow the peace of God to pass our own understanding so that our hearts and minds are kept in Jesus Christ. And there are many people that can get all excited that we are in the end times and about the fact that the Antichrist is coming. When they themselves are so hardened in their heart that they do not recognize that they are not prepared for the events that are to come. They're only seeing the outward excitement of things as if somehow it is not going to affect their lives personally with judgment that will be very severe because they are living an unrighteous life. And of course, this was addressed by the Old Testament prophets to the nation of Israel who said, yeah, we, we want to know what's going to happen and we believe some major thing where the day of the Lord comes is coming and we're, we're, we're wanting to see this happen. And they were reproved because they were living in unrighteousness and not ready for the day of the Lord. And so people can become obsessed that have this ungodliness in their lives with various fables or conspiracy theories or conjectures about what is about to happen. And it can be something that can feed pride and can cause division and can cause troubling to others when they hear these things. Paul the Apostle commands the believers in Thessalonica not to be deceived by such people. He says, let no man deceive you by any means. People are saying that the Messiah is coming in the next few days or the next few weeks or in the next year or whatever. And that you should get rid of all of your material possessions and go up in a mountain or whatever. He's saying, don't let people deceive you so that you are moved out of a troubling of your natural understanding rather than out of your relationship with God, which allows the peace of God to rule in your life and goes beyond our understanding. Paul the Apostle says here very plainly, that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And this epistle was written well before John wrote the book of Revelation, which talks about this very same thing. So obviously Paul the apostle was teaching this and no doubt these teachings came through the apostles from Christ who taught about the second coming. And I'm sure many things were shared which were not written in the four Gospels concerning that, although there are many good things written which are mentioning what Christ mentioned about the second coming. And he also emphasizes 
don't be deceived because there will be false prophets that will deceive many before his coming, saying that they are the Christ. And no doubt there could have been even some at that time in Thessalonica that were saying, oh, there's been a, Christ has already uh, appeared in a certain location. Whatever. There are all of these things that if people do not know a deep relationship with God and do not know what the word of God says can be moved by. Paul is emphasizing that there is going to be a great manifestation of evil. by obviously a major world leader. The son of perdition, he calls him. This name, perdition, is also described in the book of Revelation. I needn't go into any detail about it. I can go to the book of Revelation and explain some of it. And it mentions in Revelations. Various things that will happen. And it describes. For example in Revelations chapter 17. The beast that thou sawest. Was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. And go in to perdition. This is talking about the son of perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And it goes on and describes here is the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sitteth, the woman is the world system. This is seven lit, the seven literal mountains of Rome, for that was the seat of power at that time. And there are seven kings, five were fallen. They were kings they knew about in Rome that had fallen, and one is, there is a present one. And the other is not yet come, and when he comes, he will continue a short space. And then it goes on to say, And the beast that was and is not even, he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth in to perdition. And it emphasizes perdition, which is a word I have not looked up in the original for time in the, this meditation, but it no doubt is referring to the place of hell, of torment, of separation from God. And I'm not here to share much from this passage in Revelation 17, except to point out that there is a powerful ruler coming which will manifest what is supernatural so that it will cause those that do not know God to wonder those whose names were not written and the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, as it says in verse 8. In this passage in Second Thessalonians, 
Paul the Apostle goes on to describe this evil ruler over all the earth who opposes and exalteth himself, verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, there has already been events in history where there, where this has happened, and there are those that uh, will twist the book of Revelations and try to say that all of these events have already happened when they totally ignore the whole book because there are many places in the book of Revelations that make it very clear that there are, these events have not been fulfilled yet. And I'm not here to go into the detail of that at this point. book of Revelations describes what is global. It describes this ruler as ruling all nations and kindreds and tongues in Revelations 13. It describes a world global earthquake that will destroy the systems of compromise the democracies that once embraced purity in the United States and, and around the world that have become a prostitute that promotes immoral immorality, perversion, the destruction of the family unit. In this passage of scripture here, the Holy Spirit is pointing out the conditions that will be there when Christ returns. And there are many pieces of the puzzle that fit together and give us a very clear picture of these conditions. If you look at Zechariah chapter 12, we see the return of Christ back to the earth. The context of that passage is that Israel is surrounded and her military might is broken and two-thirds of the city are taken. And of course, one could go there and I suppose I could briefly just touch on it in Zechariah chapter 12. And in Zechariah chapter 12, we read, starting maybe approximately in verse 9, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day, there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem. And I'm not here to read the whole passage, but as you look at Zechariah chapter 12, 
it is prophetic and clearly paints a picture of the nation surrounding Israel, her might being broken that she might be cornered through that to such a desperation to turn to God for deliverance. And in that deep turning of the heart, they look upon me, speaking of God, whom they have pierced, which of course is speaking of Jesus Christ, their Messiah. Paul the Apostle is pointing out something of what it will be like before the Messiah returns. And I pointed out to you that also in this picture is the surrounding of Israel and her military might being broken. But there was the event of Antiochus Epiphanes in history that was certainly fulfilled in Daniel chapter 11 and other scriptures about there, where he did enter the Jewish temple and did exalt himself as God, which was a foretype or a foresycle in, in events of the past of what would become a greater cycle as history goes on. Then we have Hitler coming on the scene, which is again a foretype of the Antichrist, who is exalting himself very similarly in oppressive power. But now we are at a point where things are global more than ever, and this cycle again is repeating, and we see in history again the same patterns back in World War II, now already repeating so soon, where there's a tremendous rise of hate towards the Jewish people in the nations of Europe. Anti-Semitism is rampant, and also Nazism. Nazism has become a powerful party in Greece, where there's been serious economic crisis. And so we see the extremes of people identifying with nationalism, such as the Nazi-like party in Greece, and others identifying with communism, which is just another form of oppressive dictatorship that takes away the freedom of people as individuals and makes them slaves that are totally dependent on a system that is oppressive because it is run by people that do not know the love of God. In this passage of Scripture, Paul goes on to say, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. <clears throat> For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And this is particularly strongly fulfilled in Revelations chapter 19, this particular verse so I go to Revelations, chapter 19, the last few verses, around verse 20. And it says, <clears throat> well, we'll start at verse 19. 
And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So when the Lord returns, as described in Zechariah chapter 12 that I just read, and they look on him who is whom they have pierced, he will also at that time destroy the Antichrist armies of the world and the Antichrist himself by the brightness of the spirit that comes out of his mouth, as it were, a shaft of light that looks like a sharp two-edged sword. And in this passage of Scripture, <clears throat> in Second Thessalonians, it is describing how the Antichrist will also be destroyed, as I just described. Also in us, there is the Spirit of God that can rise forth out of our mouth in power and be effectual with such power to bring life to the believers in edifying them. But we also know that the two prophets in Revelation in the last days will have the Spirit of God indwelling in them so powerfully in such a strong anointing that those that attempt to kill them, the fire of God will literally come out of their mouth and devour them and destroy them until it's God's appointed time for them to be allowed to go through similarly what Christ went through, uh, martyrdom or crucifixion, and on the third day they are raised up by the Spirit of God. That is described in Revelations chapter I believe it is 11 or 12. Probably, I believe it's 12. God is calling us as believers in our preparation for the coming of Christ to be in a place of authority where we can conquer by allowing the Spirit of God to rise out of our mouth in the spirit of prophecy that has authority to tear down the strongholds of opposition in order to bring people unto the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But there's great deception that is creeping into the world, and this is what Paul is describing. The darkness is increasing. The deception is increasing. And the Lord describes this in verse 11 when he says, For this cause, first he describes the Antichrist, as one with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in verse 10, in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. The issue is whether people 
are open and receptive to loving the truth. If they are, then they can be saved. As long as they are in the deceptions of their own ways, of seeking fulfillment within themselves in independence from God, they are like the prodigal son, and they are filled with an emptiness that they cannot satisfy, and God is seeking through that failure out of emptiness to make right decisions because what you're trying to fill with things that are not God are always choices that are destructive. It is like a black hole in outer space that never can be satisfied and that pulls everything in in a destructive way around it. Love is the opposite. Love is choosing the highest lasting good over what would be less than the lasting good and therefore has corruption and destructiveness in it. I'm not here to get into the in-depth discussion on love. I am just here today to preach a message, even though I'm very tired from a very full day, a message by the power of the Holy Spirit to encourage you to be in a place where you can be effective to pierce through the deception in people's hearts that causes them to hide from the truth so that they cannot be saved. It is the love of the truth that brings people to salvation. And truth is defined in the dictionary as that which is real. And that which is real is defined as that which is everlasting and unchangeable and incorruptible, that cannot be moved. It is ultimately real. Reality is ultimately satisfying. Truth is defined as real. And what is ultimately real is God, for it is only God that is everlasting and immutable and unchangeable. And the reason he is is that his love is a blazing fire of judgment in the, against all that is contrary to his love. That's the integrity of God's love, which is the defensive aspect of God's love. It is the holiness of God. The love of the truth is a recognition, a choice to recognize what is ultimately trustworthy, which can only be this quality of love that always chooses the highest lasting good over any more immediate choice of gratification and is able to do that because there is a total integrity to judge the slightest that is contrary thereto. This is the holiness of God. And when the prodigal son came to his senses, he was tired of the deceptions of his own heart. And so are many other people as they've sought to fill the void that God can only fill that is like a black hole in outer space that is destructive in their inner being, that is a principle of corruption. 
It is only God's Spirit that can fill that inner being with ultimate reality that is totally solid and real and satisfying to the inner being of man. For man was created to find his satisfaction, his completeness, his fulfillment in fellowship with God, in communion with God. And the truth is this quality of God's love that first is this aspect of love that has the integrity to judge all that is there contrary to the love of God. This is the holiness of God. And that is the foundation from which issues the power of God to provide mercy and forgiveness because he alone has this integrity that allows him to have such creativity and love to the point that he has the moral capacity within himself to become a perfect, atoning sacrifice to absorb the judgment of our willful disobedience. And indeed, that came to pass by the full expression of himself into the time and space realm in his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who is the one true God in the time and space realm in government. So God loved you so much that he suffered more than you, a mere creature, and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, so that you could be reconciled to God and be saved from his separation from the love of God in a place of eternal torment. For without God's love, which is the very source of love, and love is the containment of unlimited life and power, when it is this love that has an integrity that is totally pure and can be transcendent with the power in the positive aspect to show and assure mercy and forgiveness to those who repent and receive the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is the failure to love the truth, to come to the place of loving the truth. When the prodigal son saw how empty his life was, he loathed the deception of his own heart. He loathed the deception of all those things that he did, that he bought into that were the deception of others. And there are many people that have sought to fill the void in their life with different religious beliefs and philosophies. And they've been grasping after this and that, but they've been finally come to that point like the prodigal where there's just loathing all the deception and emptiness of this all. And they finally cry out and, and only want what is ultimately trustworthy, which can only be in this quality, which is the truth. And deep down inside, there is a conscience in people that can be awakened if it has been seared at that point by philosophies that rationalize away the innate awareness that we know what is good from what is bad, what is constructive unto life from what is not. And what is ultimately the source of that can only be this love I've described that has this integrity that can be transcendent in mercy to show forgiveness and assure it and provide destiny and purpose to what he's created. 
For God to not be able to do that would imply he would be imperfect, for he would have created a creation that is imperfect if he did not have such a plan. But we know he is perfect. He is the truth. There is no corruption in him. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God will allow people that continually resist coming to a place of loving the truth to be deceived and harden their hearts in rebellion against God. For it says, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned to believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The real issue with people, when it comes down to it, is that they want to have their own temporary pleasures of unrighteousness to try to satisfy the void that is deep within them. But the more they try to fill it with these things, the more the emptiness grows and the destructiveness of belief to the point that they can harden themselves to become totally evil and servants of Satan, and even worship the devil, or, in, or be in a belief system that is so obviously evil, as we see so many people that are religious nowadays and claim to believe in one God, doing terrible things. Not living a life of righteousness, or looking up to people as an example to follow that are righteous. And so Paul the Apostle says here, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So salvation, which involves entering a place where our whole being is redeemed and brought into wholeness and is in a, enters into total completeness and fulfillment that is ever enlarging with the opportunities to express our creativity as well in relationship with God and the others in heaven. This salvation that is so great, God has chosen us to. And it's through the separating work or the purifying work of the Spirit which is through the Spirit convicting us of sin and the Holy Spirit carries with him the word or the expression of God and the written word of God, which convicts so that we see those things in us that are not of God and ask the Lord for mercy and cleansing and so we are transformed and being changed from glory to glory into greater and greater conformity to the image that God has intended for us to be, which is the image, conformity to the image of his Son. This is the work of sanctification through the love of the truth, through the belief of the truth, which is a process of greater and greater receptivity to the holiness of God and to the mercy of God that springs therefrom. That is a process I'm not going to go into in detail here. 
we are to always allow the sword of the Spirit of God to search our hearts, as it says in Hebrews 4, I believe verse 12, that, this, that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than two any, any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, even revealing the intentions and motives of the heart. And it is as we have a life of prayer and we learn to gaze on who God is through learning to wait on him and be still and know that he is God and humble ourselves and be in awe of the holiness of God and in full, full thankfulness of the holiness of God and his judgments and the, whole, and the love of God manifested through the mercy of God. See, the fear of God is basically a choice to recognize God for who he is in his holiness as ultimately trustworthy and also in his mercy. It's the two things together that reveal God is ultimately trustworthy. And it is the reciprocation of focusing on that and being filled with worship and praise out of a heart that is deeply turning to God through prayer, through meditation in the word, that causes us, the eye of our heart, to behold this glory of God that changes us into conformity to his image, that we might be those that obtain the glory of God through beholding the glory of God, we begin to enter into receiving a greater and greater abiding of his glory in us. For it says, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But even now, we see him in part by the revelation of the Spirit of God through a life of prayer and seeking him that prepares us to be filled so with him by the working of his sword, the sword of the spirit of life, that sharp two-edged sword, so that it also rises up out of us with authority and power to reach others for the kingdom of God and bring them out of darkness into his light and also prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Therefore, Paul says, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or epistle. And he goes on and he closes with a benediction on their lives, a blessing. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Thank you for listening to this message. God bless you as I continue to minister the word of God about five times a week on these podcasts.